1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, It's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We have got a great guest today. This is a woman who knows grief intimately, but also has taken her experience in life and turned it into a way to serve people and guide people and look at grief in a different way, which I've been researching some of her stuff and... It's funny because I keep finding people that are looking at it in the same way, and there are people that aren't. So we have Michelle Neff Hernandez, and she is the co-founder, I mean, the founder of CEO of Soaring Spirits, I'm not speaking well today, the creator of the Camp Widow Program. And she also wrote a book called Different After You, Rediscovering Yourself and Healing After Grief and Trauma. So her work is really fully invested in grief work and trauma work. And so, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. We've had a morning, both of us.
0: <laughs> we have, but we've but we bonded over it, which is a great way to start. <laughs> exactly.
2: She said the moon is in retrograde. So I was like, well, obviously.
0: All the planets are something. It has been a day. <laughs> That's true. But it's so good to be here.
2: Yes. Thank you so much. And I, I heard about you from our team, and then I started to research your book. And the similarities in our experience, just in terms of sudden death, you know, I, we talk a lot about how your person died, when they died, were they sick? Were that was it sudden? But I love. In one point, you talk about like all my friends have dead people, or my people are people with dead people. I feel that way. I feel like widows are my people, and even more so, I feel people that just had someone drop dead in front of them are yeah. definitely are or not in front of them, but just like by are really my people because. It's so important that we connect to those who have been through the same thing. So can you just briefly kind of tell us how you got here, the hard and beautiful journey to this spot in your life?
0: Yeah, well, I have to agree with you. People who have dead people are my people, for sure. And when did I ever think that was going to be a good thing? Not really until after my husband died. So in 2005, my very healthy 39-year-old husband went out for a bike ride and didn't come home because he was hit and killed by a driver while he was on that bike ride. I was 35. I had a blended family of six. So definitely no time to grieve. I had <laughs> a lot of mom duties. And, you know, I think that, that the primary thing I felt at that time was like, what are you supposed to do with this? Mm-hmm. I had no idea what to do with myself. Nobody else knew what to do with me either. I, I think it's a very funny thing that I ended up starting a support network for widowed people because I was very well supported. My family and friends were amazing, but nobody was widowed and nobody knew what to do with me. And because I had not a single clue what I was supposed to do, they had no clue. I just went looking for other widowed people. It was the only thing I could think of that made any sense because nothing in my life made sense. The fact that he was dead did not make sense. And so the long and the short of it is I went looking for other people thinking I'd collect their stories and write a book. The book took 17 years. <laughs> so that, that, didn't, that didn't come out just as, as I had anticipated. But instead, really what I built was a community. Every time I met another widowed person, I was like, oh, you're my people. And then another one, you're my people. And so the idea of bringing them together in community and offering a peer support network so that other widowed people didn't have to ask the question I was asking, which was where do I find my people? I don't know where to find my people. And so, you know, fast forward, it's been 14 years. Soaring Spirits International is the organization I created. Our sort of flagship program is called Camp Widow. We've helped over 4 million widowed people connect with each other since our inception in 2008. And, you know, we just keep on rolling along, creating safe space for people to talk about a life altering experience that they didn't want. And that arrived on the doorstep in whatever package it came in, as you said, whether it's sudden loss or illness or, you know, a combination of both, suicide, you know, addiction, all of the things that bring us all to the place where, in particular for a widowed person, but any griever really, that that person is no longer going to be walking through the door, and you have to figure out what to do with yourself next.
2: God, I mean, you're doing good work, isn't it? It is the weirdest thing when you're like, where'd they go? What? I mean, those first few days. And I, I didn't know you were that far out from it. I honestly thought it was much closer, which actually informs a lot about the space that you have to do this work because you have seen the, how time heals. I think, you know, the whenever, and I'm sure you get the call of every widow in the world and everybody's like, hey, do you want to talk to her? But it's so funny because really as you move forward, if if you do so properly and you heal and you, you tend to it, it does get better simply because of this great called time. If you do the work, there is a there is a way to get through it. And I hated when people say that. And I still hate it. But I find myself telling people that are in the first three weeks, like I promise you, it's going to be really weird for a long, long, long time, but one day it's going to be okay.
0: Yeah. I think I love that you that you still hate it because it's so true. And that you know the truth of it is that it's never going to be okay that your person's dead no That's it's not. Talk it is never going to be okay. But you can be okay. Oh, I like and, that. You know, you can be okay. And that doesn't mean you're okay with their death because that's never going to happen. When people say to me, my favorite line to tell people is if someone asks you how long you're going to be grieving, then you just tell them for as long as my person is dead. Right. That's oh. how long I'm going to be grieving. Yeah. So I, if he comes true. back to life, I'd be happy to stop grieving. Right. But then we'll have other problems. Yeah. Oh, right. true. Especially my new husband. He might be, you know, we're oh, going to have to love this a new husband. Out. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But... Having said that, you know, time, what time offers us is the opportunity to evolve. Yep. And that is only an opportunity. It is not a guarantee. And so for the people who really struggle with complicated grief and with long-term grief and with the inability to figure out a process or the lack of support, there could be a million reasons why people struggle, but it is only an opportunity to evolve. We have to take that opportunity and allow ourselves and, and really, you know, the message. So fast forward to writing the book. And as you said, so it's been a long time for me and I started writing the book. So probably I was widowed probably 15 years by the time I was writing the book. Really? Because of the six kids? It's because of the six kids? (laughs) In part, yes. But mostly really, yes, I needed to make the space, but also, you know, what I thought I was going to write is a totally different book. I wanted to write, like, I, I interviewed 30 widows about their widowed experience What did you do with your clothes? What did you do with our clothes? How long did you sleep in the bed? Like all of those kind of things. And I wanted practical answers to those questions. Well, of course there were 30 different answers for every single person. And so, but what I learned over the last 17 years is that so many people don't have a lot of respect for the person they are in grief. They think there's something wrong with them because all of the side effects of grief are awful, They can't remember things. They are, you know, they used to be calm. Now they're anxious. They're angry. They're tired. They can't sleep because even if they're tired, all the things. And you're like, see, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. And what they end up doing is damaging their self-esteem even further by constantly holding up this, you know, vision of themselves as they used to be and saying, why aren't I that person anymore? Well, here's why. Because your person's dead and you're trying to work it out. And so being able to take that time to evolve allow the changes that grief is making in you a space and a place not only in the past, but in your present, and it will shape your nature. And that's really the message of the book. And I couldn't have learned that, you know, yeah. in these first few days. It took a long time to figure that out for myself, but it isn't just my lesson. It's the lessons that all of the widowed people I've interacted with over the past 14 years have taught me.
2: That's really interesting. My experience has almost been a little bit Opposite that, because for some reason I could feel that he was going to die, so Mm -hmm. I was really anxious and scared for years prior to his death, for a thousand reasons. But I I always think about this idea that, and we just talked about this a little bit before we started, but this idea that when when someone dies, it's like you're on a different planet. I mean, that's how it felt for me, and I think for a lot of people I talk to, you have no idea where you just landed it makes no sense. It's not possible. It'd be like if you were floating and gravity was no longer working. It's one of those, like, it's like a spiritual law that you don't think you're like, wait, this, th- it was supposed to go like this. Like we're supposed to be on the earth and now I'm not. And so for me, it was this, this shock and awe that the world was no longer the world. Mm-hmm. Nothing, when you pull one person out, especially if it's your, your person, it shifts everything. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that, you know, people want to go back or want to get back to themselves or want to find their way back to happy. I'm like, oh, that person died with the person that died. Like the Kelsey that was here when she was 40, November 10th, was different November 11th. She's, she died with her husband. That version of me has no place on this earth anymore because the, the, the players have shifted. And so I think when people start to understand that you're not trying to get back anywhere, you're actually, like you said, trying to rebuild into this exceptional human being that was broken and now is about to, if they so choose, go through the worst pain of their lives and get some of the great gifts of their lives.
0: I always say, I think of it like this, you know, Phil died on August 31st, 2005. I died that day too. Mm-hmm. And I was reborn that day as well. Me too. So, you know, that rebirth, that that rebirth. So, th- you know, in the book, I talk a little bit about what that's like. So, you know, usually when someone's born, it's all sunshine and roses. So happy. Everybody's so happy. Brand new baby. Look at how cute you are. So then you're born into August 31st, 2005. There was no celebration going on. Right. You know, you as a griever are born into probably the most painful experience of your life. And that person, the person you are in that moment is the one who drags your butt through every single thing that comes next. And so often that person doesn't get a lot of respect. That person is the one who's like, remember how I used to be fun? (laughs) Remember Mm -hmm. when I used to enjoy, you know, going out with people? Remember when someone would say something to me and I didn't immediately think they were either dead or going to die soon? Like those changes... Oftentimes, help make us think we're less than somehow, but really, the rock star who's getting you up every day through the worst pain of your life, through taking care of whatever your responsibilities are, through figuring things out that you never thought you were going to have to figure out, starting with a funeral, you know, all the things that you just—who would have ever known? And so, my hope with the book is to help people find a way to develop a real respect for that person, the person who was born on the worst day ever. Right, that person is a rock star. And getting to know that person is my, in my opinion, the work of grief is getting to know that person, understand their needs, and then allow what they've lived through to help you not only live more authentically in your present, but also build a future for that person that's meaningful, that is a reflection of what they've lived and what they know about themselves now.
2: Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of of taking care of that person as if they're a new baby also. Like they just they just got here. You know, you just got here. You just got here like a day ago. And I think I I talk about this a lot in terms of just how, you know, obviously our culture, we don't like death because it's very painful and it's and it's sad. And we have a lot of rules around how long we think people are supposed to live, how they're supposed to die. You know, everyone's supposed to live till eighty-two and they're supposed to die holding hands in their sleep with their family after having just a lovely life, you know, and it's just, it's so ridiculous. No pain. It's so ridiculous. And it's, when I, when I explore what it's like to deliver a baby or to, to be born, there's a lot of trauma there. There's a trauma for the mother. I mean, now that we have epidurals and C-sections, but back in the day, when you had to have a baby, that was a traumatic experience and you were not the same person after they were born. Your your world, your planet looked similar to when someone leaves. You're like, what the hell just happened? Mm -hmm. So you bring that baby home and you don't even know how this works anymore. The roles have changed, the fun you is gone, and life just got really serious. And so I feel like if we could kind of start to look at death the same way, when someone dies, that is a traumatic experience. You are no longer that person. You have a different role now. Mm -hmm. The world looks different, but we don't, we deem birth this beautiful thing.
0: No.
2: this transformative thing and you're a mother. Well, man, when you go through grief and you get to the other side and I, and I consider the other side when it's... And I'm, I'm almost there. I'm four and a half years and I can, I can feel it in my soul. I can feel this like like this presence, like I'm back here on earth as a new person, I'm no longer floating around in the ether being like, I don't even know what happened.
0: I'm not sure what's
2: going on here. Yeah. And so I, I feel that way. I feel like, oh my God, the kind of the way you feel after your, your kids go to preschool or there's like a moment where you go, I might be able to do this. I might just survive this thing. And I love that you have, I mean, I, I wrote my book right away because I just journaled. But I was I remember thinking like where is the book that says like step 1 call the mortuary? Like do you know a mortuary Kelsey you don't right. even know how to spell that yeah. word.
0: Exactly. But, and there is one in my town who knew. Who knew? Like,
2: and and how I didn't it. know that was a thing. And then you go there and you're like it shouldn't be a thing because this is so yeah. awful. Yeah. And the whole thing's such a racket. It's like you're going to Costco to buy things, but you're looking for like an urn. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. And the people that worked, I mean, I had some nice people, but it is a very sad business and they're very busy. It turns out, especially in LA, I had no idea people mm-hmm. were dying so often. Yeah, and it's
0: not interesting though, when you think about it that way, because that means that there are newborn grievers everywhere, all the time, It's the everywhere thing. we go. And, you know, they are all wandering around. And I, I tell people, you know, a similar thing, which is like you get dropped into a completely new land and you can't be expected to know your way. You've never been there before. And so developing a map and figuring out, looking around and discovering your surroundings and figuring out your place in that, it's going to take time because it's a completely new experience. And so everywhere we look, there are always groovers in that new person state. And yet, as a society... We want grief to be over there so we don't have to look at it because it's not easily solved. It's not something that we can say, okay, do this and you're going to be better. Instead, we have to say, you're going to evolve through this and it's going to take a while. And, you know, that's not news anybody really wants to hear. Right. What would you say,
2: Michelle, that when you're, I mean, obviously you're, I'm obsessed with people that have kids after death because that's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So tell me a little bit about your blended family. You had, he had children.
0: I, I had three stepchildren who uh, were young older teens when we got married and then my kids were nine eight and six when we got married so we sort of had a gap of about five years between the two groups of kids and when he died the older ones were 21 19 and 17 and the younger ones were 14 13 and 11 okay okay so you know a whole like Oh, a whole hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. A whole hot mess. And I always tell people no one should ever have to tell a kid their parent is dead. That's like, no, it's not high level, high level horrible. It's the worst.
2: And sometimes yeah. I think, I think everyone and I, whether they've been sick for a long time or they're gone, when you have to say that, it's so surreal. You feel like you're in a movie. You're like, okay, cue the cue the uh, sad part here. Like, right. I really thought like
0: what's the sad music.
2: Yeah. Like, okay, what's my job? I'm the mom. I'm supposed to go tell them their father's dead. Okay. Like, and then we're going to roll this again. You know, like it was just, for me, it was so insane that this conversation was being had. And my kids were there. He was jumping on a trampoline with them. Oh, yeah. And then I had lied to them and told them he had just fallen because they were like, he didn't look well. I'm like, no, no, no. He's Hold on. Let me get back from Jamaica. I was, I was out of the country. Never had left. No, it's just... But I do... I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, in terms of how your husband passed... How did you get over on the the grief part? Okay, we all talk about that, but I I don't think I've met anyone that has died in an accident or we haven't had anyone on the podcast. I'm just starting to talk to people about suicide because I found that if it's not the type of death you've experienced, Mm -hmm. even though everyone thinks like I get dead people, I get dead people that are widowed mothers that drop dead suddenly, but there's like everything else I have never experienced. And I'm just as nervous to talk about that As I would if, you know, if I didn't have a dead person. So what was that like? And how is it when you, when it was someone's fault or someone chose it or someone chose to do something to someone? Like, how do you talk about that with people? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
0: Well, what's interesting is that I also told a lie. I didn't know it was a lie at the time, but as I was walking out of the house, I got a phone call from the side of the road that he'd been hit by the car. And in my mind, I had just decided that if they were calling me and not 911, then he probably had broken his legs and I was going to have to go get him and he was going to be mad because he wouldn't be able to run the next day. Right. Uh, What I didn't imagine, of course, was that they would do both things. And so I said to the kids as I was walking out the door, he's been hit by a car. He's probably fine. He just mm. broke his legs. And so you can imagine now when I have to deliver the different news, it's not point. what it is. Yeah. One of my kids said to me, You told me he just broke his legs. And I was just like, Oh, like, how do you, like, even still, you know, it's been 17 years and even still thinking of that moment just uh, twists my, twists yeah. my, spoke because it was, you know, because it's impossible. There's no, you know, there's no, There's no way to soften it. There's no way. The facts are so hideous that, that there's no way to change the facts. And so so coming back to the idea of fault, you know, his accident was pretty classically an accident, meaning that, you know, there were a collection, a series of things that happened that would have had to happen exactly that way for him to die. You know, including the height of the car because it was a slightly elevated car. His tire went under. Like there are just a lot of details that conspired for him to end up not surviving that accident. And so, in the idea of fault, for me, and this is different for everyone, but for me, there was a moment where it was like, okay, the man who hit him, he stayed. And I remember seeing him at the scene. I didn't interact. Oh, good. Yeah but I saw him and I remember thinking, who's that guy? I just, I think what I felt was his energy because I could, I identified him from a distance and right. I had no idea who he was. And yeah, I saw him there and he called the next day through via you know, through the police station to say, if I wanted to talk to him, I, he was willing to talk to me. Um, you know, so for it was me, an accident, a true, accident. true accident and, and his pain, it was, pain, horrible, was huge. Hard. Of course, nobody wants to do that. It was family, it was, it was horrible. And so that was the way I approached it. I will say that, you know, it was harder for the older kids than to see it that way. And every one of us has had our own sort of emotional interaction with the realities of his death. And I have to say that I think one of the, the most difficult things about being a parent of grieving kids is that. Each one of them needs something different from you and that it is both separate from and combined with your own grief experience. And so because they can only understand it developmentally, you know, it means revisiting over and over and over again. And my reminder to parents who are parenting grieving kids is that your ability to consistently engage with them, you know, continues to to build every time you do it. And even though it's horrible, and even though you don't want to, and even though you did it last, you know, week, or you did it, you know, again, five minutes later with a different kid, you know, that, 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 that's one of the hardest parts of parenting and creating kid is that, you know, they're going to understand it at different stages and each different stages going are gonna require an interaction from you. That's different. And as my kids became, my kids became adults, the younger ones became adults, you know, their questions shift. They are, you know, more interested in the details that escaped them as children because they didn't. And you can imagine, none of them, you know, they were young, so none of them had driver's license. Imagine teaching those kids to drive. Right. Every single time we had a conversation about cyclists and, you know, what do we do? And, you know, so it's a part of our life. And, and. For that reason, like when we speak to the book, it's like we have been changed by what we've experienced and trying to pretend like we are the same person we were is damaging because we can't be that person anymore. I can never drive past a cyclist again and not think that, you know, just for one second about what happened in my life. And and that is true for my kid, all the kids. It gets true for everyone who knows Phil, everyone who was a part of, of that You know, so of course we are changed by grief. If we can allow those changes, then we have the opportunity to use that to evolve and for our perspective to include making more space for the grieving people who are around us, being more graceful about how we interact with people who are grieving, understanding that we are evolving into a new version of ourselves and also giving ourselves the grace and the space to evolve rather than holding up a mirror that says, look, you used to be so much better remember?" And so that's, that's really my passion about the book is helping people find that respect for themselves because my new baby self had to take all six of those grieving kids through that whole experience. And, you know, to look at her with anything less than respect and admiration is doing a disservice to myself because I did that really, really hard work when I had no energy, I had no appetite for what I was doing. I couldn't see how it was going to be in any way good, but I kept showing up because that's what we do. And if you can keep showing up for yourself, then you can start to build that respect for the person who has been born into this circumstance that they didn't ask for.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the kid thing is you just don't have a clue what you're doing. But if you just, for me at least, and I, I talk about this all the time, but if you just keep talking about it, like for, from what I understand from every parent or every adult I've ever talked to who lost a, a parent back in the 40s or 50s or 60s, they said, if only my mom hadn't died also. When my dad passed, I just wish my mom could have been happy again. And I know that people get upset, like, oh, and my mother-in-law and I debate this all the time, like, you, everybody in this culture wants to be happy. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not asking for happy. I'm saying that if you have children, you fight for joy, because they are going to go on and have a life. It wasn't their spouse. It wasn't their, like, give them the chance to still have a happy parent. And so when you don't know where you're headed, that was always my North Star, that like... Me as a wife losing my soulmate or my partner, I have to deal with that on my own. I have to create a new story and become that new version of me. My children, they lost a parent, but they have a good parent still here. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to work my ass off to be the best widowed mother. And I don't want to do this, but if I could do anything to honor my husband and anything to do to honor my kids, I'll fight for joy for them. And for me, that just meant eventually... The kids didn't want to talk about it as much in the beginning. And I want to talk about it all the time. Like, they hate this podcast. it's <laughs> doing a sex podcast now. And they're like, what has happened? They're like, which one is worse? We they're, don't just, they're just like, mom, remember when you were in corporate America before yeah. dad died and you were yeah.
0: behaving? Remember that normal mother? Yes. What is happening here? Ha- they, a
2: hundred percent, they're like, we're going to kill dad when we see him. I'm like, we yeah. all are. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. But they're, I, you know, if you're in the early stages... The only thing I can say is you just, you keep talking to those children and you keep having the most miserable conversations. And I'm still not good at this and I'm almost five years out, but if you can just let them be miserable when they're miserable and you get to be, if everybody just gets to be what they are when they are, you'll notice that no one can stay miserable forever. It's too much work and no one can stay happy forever. It's too hard. And so I really, the, the gifts, and I want to talk about the gifts of grief because there are so many and i think i knew it right away like oh this thing's going to change me yeah. this, this this my kids just became resilient my kids used to think everything was my kids had a good life nothing ever happened badly we had resources and love and support what they just they just up leveled mm-hmm. to a to a depth of understanding and to a an inner knowing that most kids don't get at 9 and 12 so I just kept saying, I know this is awful, but man, look at, look at what you guys can handle. And so, you know, writing the story for our kids and for us, and I think having a, a vision on where you want to go and then finding people. And I love that you have the community part because I really think the worst thing I could imagine is grieving alone.
0: I tell people the only thing worse than being widowed is being widowed alone. Oh, I don't (laughs) even know how you do it. That's the worst. I don't. Yeah, that Uh, was what drove me. Like I felt like I was widowed alone, and in that feeling of aloneness, I was like, okay, this can't. Like I, who do you even ask? I guess you ask other widowed people, and that that sense of like needing that community because in that, I, I feel like when you're in community you have the opportunity to normalize grief in a way that you can't in any other way. And that means that you might meet somebody who you're like, wow, I would never do that. And then you meet somebody else who you're like, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And now you've got a scope. And that scope you can fit anywhere in between there helps you to see like, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of ways to evolve through this. There's a lot of ways to talk with the kids. There's resources that are available that I can only find because I have all of these people to ask. That was my goal. The bigger awesome. The better because then the scope of what's normal expands to the point that it includes all of the things you know that I was experiencing that felt totally crazy but instead were just a part of the process that I couldn't possibly know because I was a newborn so put the newborn with other kids who have also had that experience and you know at our Camp Widow events
2: yeah tell us a little bit because we only have a little bit more time tell tell me both about Camp Widow and Soaring Spirits
0: So Soaring Spirits is the parent organization, nonprofit founded in California that offers a huge variety of resources for widowed people. Our our jam is widowed people. We love widowed people. There's nothing cooler. Look at the two of us. That's all we do, right? So Camp Widow is a weekend long or a single day, depending on which version you choose Packed resources for rebuilding your life. So many people assume that coming to Camp Udo means you're going to cry, sing kumbaya, have some s'mores. You might have s'mores, but they would be Marriott provided. But the idea is really to provide people with community and resources for rebuilding their lives. And so where else will you have a conversation with other people who have had widowed or, or widowed and raising kids? That's where. Where else are you going to find somebody who's person drowned? That's where. Where else are you going to find somebody who has had, you know, a suicide loss and you have a collection? of people who can talk about the unique elements that are included when you're going to have unanswered questions for the rest of your life. So Cambodia was built to be that like holder of safe space for community to grow within. And I love it, it every single time. And I always tell people the magic sauce. What's the magic sauce? It's the people. It's yeah. what are people connecting with each other because when they do, they walk away feeling like this is possible. Living through this is possible possible. And that's, so at the bottom of our badges, we have ribbons that say how long we've been widowed. And the purpose of that is so that if I'm a newborn, I can walk out and be like, wow, that one's been widowed two years. That one's been widowed five years. That one's been widowed more than 10 years. What are they doing here? And what they're doing here is coming back to provide community for you, baby widow, so that you can see that there are other people who survived this, that the transformation they've experienced has changed them in positive ways. Um, because we only imagine that grief is gonna change us in negative ways because it's so negative out the gate. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the, the work of Camp Widow and the work of Soaring Spirits is to help widowed people rebuild their lives and to provide them with a space for making meaning from this horrible thing that has happened. But it doesn't. It won't only just be horrible if we can add some meaning that is helping us move through and evolve into a version of ourselves that we didn't want, but can learn to respect and actually think, I'm kind of a badass. I mean, we are. I, I, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
2: that once you get past the shock and awe of the first couple of years, and you start to look back at what you did... You cannot help but think like, holy Toledo. I mean, I don't even, what's changed for me is, and I, I used to hear people say this, and I would always pray that nothing bad would happen to my my family or my kids. You know, that's like everyone's prayer when you first like, please don't let my husband die. Please don't let my kids die. Please don't let me get sick. I've been through them all now. And I'm like, oh gosh, these are these painful things though. When, if and if and how you make it through it, then life starts to be fun because you have want, gone through the worst. And when you start to know that you can handle things, life gets so much more enjoyable because you're not praying that nothing happens. you're praying that you have the resources and the people yes. around yeah. you to survive what will happen to all of us, not death so always not but just like this inner sense of I am stronger than I think and yeah, we could talk forever because I do forever
0: I want to and change you really about death the message of the book in yeah. In- that, you know, if we allow the pain a place in our life, mm-hmm. then and only then can we access the power that comes with that. Yeah. And yes. so if we try to shut it out and pretend like it didn't happen or, you know, and we're encouraged, we are encouraged. Oh, We are that.
2: encouraged to take pills Constant. and drink wine.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, stop talking about that. Just stop talking about that. But if instead we make space for it, and like you said, even with your kids, if we make space for how we are, if we make space for the experience only then can we access what we've learned from it. Only then can it become something powerful, and and, and that's the brave part. You know, yeah. that's the brave part to have the courage to do that is an incredible. It, it's incredible, and people who do it, I always I tell people like widow people are the coolest people I've ever met. Fun, sure. funny, resilient. Awesome. Talk about sex, and you don't even. Yeah, I you mean, can't talk believe it. we talk about all the things because yeah. you don't no, care right, anymore. Honestly. Yeah, and. If we, when it, when people struggle to say, you know, like, oh, don't call me a widow. I always think, look at the other people. When you've met a community of widow people and you look at all of them and you think, God, they are amazing. It changes the way you see yeah. them. No. And that is is another piece of the work that Soaring Spirits does in the world is just represent widowhood in a different way so that people don't automatically think of the sad sack person sitting in a chair with a, you know, little, little piece of doily on her head. Right. But instead- you know, Mm -hmm. resilient, powerful people taking the worst thing that's happened and allowing it to change them so that they can come to the world with everything they have to offer. I love it. I love it. Well, you do great work.
2: And so check out Soaring Spirits, check out Camp Widow. But most importantly, if you have a dead person or you're in the beginning of it, or if you have Friend, I feel like you were a little bit early at thirty-five, but I'm now forty-five, and I've, I honestly feel like people are dropping dead all the time. Or maybe it's just I'm in the wheelhouse of it now. But, okay, you know. But <laughs> yeah. there are, you know, a, a, a good book can change your life at the beginning of this because there's so many bad books that when you read a bad book, you'll be like, okay, I actually feel worse. When you read a good book about grief, it changes your experience because all of a sudden you don't feel alone and you have some sort of a map for how this might look so I, I'm really picky about books because I've read a bunch that didn't ring true for me and made me annoyed so different after you Michelle Neff Hernandez grab it and if you want to look for community try Camp Widow thank you so much we had a morning but look at us we figured we it out awesome. we're resilient look at us look at us widows. <laughs> look at us go you know, perfect <laughs> thank you thank you so you, much thank